Nation Reaching Nations is focused on highlighting innovative stories from cross-cultural, local, and global missions, missions from the majority world, and culturally contextual teaching. The missionaries' stories and idea of this podcast are based on connecting through Houston and serve as an example of how the gospel is spreading from everywhere to everywhere. Our hope is that the stories that you hear on this podcast will help equip you to reach those around you. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm Brian. Um, as we talk about a lot of cross-cultural activity, um, oftentimes we import our own cultural understanding of how things ought to go. So if God gives me a task to do, I have this basic understanding that he in some way should abide by my sense of efficiency. And I want to read a, a chapter, This is, or just a few verses rather, from Jeremiah 7. This is starting in verse 28, and this is something I share with a lot of people who uh, follow God in some way, because eventually God leads us into what we may or may not feel like is a, a fool's errand. And so this is right after the call of Jeremiah, and God is giving him his first message, giving Jeremiah his first message to share with the people. In verse 27, he says, So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept his discipline. So in that verse right there, it talks about uh, the idea that God is sending Jeremiah to do a task. He has a message he wants to share with people, and Jeremiah is to share it. He's being told to share it, but he's also being told uh, it's not going to be effective. It's not going to work. And there's an American efficiency side of me that just doesn't comprehend this. It's one of the hardest things to understand about God. And as people uh, step out in faith, as they follow God, um, as they go overseas, the world is in such upheaval right now. You have massive uh, migration movements around the world. You know, we're sitting here in the office, and it, it's the midst, the middle, we hope, the middle of uh, coronavirus. And all of this upheaval, there's political upheaval. People get sent home all the time for various reasons and can often come back uh, feeling this way. And so uh, today's guest is Amanda. She is a student at HBU. I actually met her in class. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hello, glad to be here. Yeah, welcome welcome back to the States. I know you had gone for uh, a little while. So I want to hear from you because uh, I, I remember when you told me that you were going to take an overseas trip, uh, it was the, you know, like, right before the next semester, and it just doesn't seem like a very likely time for a student to go, hey, I'm going to unplug, and I'm going to go do something. And so what transpired for you to want to, to take a trip? Yeah, so it was definitely very out of the blue. So I had started my second year of college at HBU, and it was around October, um, and the opportunity just presented itself. God just kind of plopped in front of me like, hey, you could take the semester off and go to Spain and learn about culture and language and connect with people. And it was just very random. I was not expecting that opportunity to be there. It was honestly not something I'd ever thought about. 
Um, I had been on other trips before to Colombia and to Greece um, to do various things. And yeah, I just wasn't on my radar to go on a longer term trip. But then the opportunity came up and I thought, well, if this is, you know, if this opportunity is here, then I'm just going to take it because why not? And I mean, it's probably not going to come around again. And I've heard other people who have traveled in college, you know, on trips tell me that you should take the opportunity while you're young and while you're in college, you don't have a family, you don't have a job uh, that you, you know, can't walk away from, you don't have limited vacation days. And so you may as well do it if you have the chance. And so I thought, well, here's the chance. So I'm just going to go for it. So I um, pretty much just had to put like some scholarships on hold at school and let people know I wasn't going to be able to complete a couple different um, leadership responsibilities I was in for supposedly the whole year, which a couple people weren't too happy about. But um, that's that's what ended up happening. So I just kind of went with it. So every student probably has a person or persons in their life who take it on as their role to make sure that they finish school. And things like breaks, like relationships, uh, even sometimes things like hobbies and interests are viewed as suspect to these people. So d did you have any of these reactions when you said, hey, so I'm going to unplug and put my scholarship on hold and I'm going to move overseas for, was it did you, was it a known set time, like a semester? Yeah, it was supposed to be for the semester. Okay, yeah. so you, I'm going to take a semester off to that person or persons in your life who is dedicated to making sure you finish. Uh, how did they receive this news? Yeah, so as you can imagine, my parents were probably the least happy about this decision. They were pretty supportive, but they they had one condition. They said, we will let you do this, but you absolutely have to finish your college degree. You cannot just say, just kidding, I'm going to move here and never come back, um, you know, or come back and quit school because I'd lost motivation. So I said, okay, 100%. I agree because, I, you know, I didn't want to drop out of school. I didn't want to, you know, move overseas. Um Permanently. I just wanted the, the experience. Um, so I got that. But yeah, I went into it with the mindset like I absolutely have to come back and get back into school. This is just a lengthy vacation and uh, from my studies, but I'm going to have to come back and buckle up and <laughs> go back into it. Did they make you watch Taken before you went? They did not. I actually watched it when I got back. Oh, did um, you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, tell tell us about your time there. What were you what, what were you there doing? Yeah, so I was really just there to connect with people and learn the culture and practice Spanish. Uh, I'd taken Spanish in high school and visited Colombia a few times, but other than that, my um, communication in Spanish was very limited. So I just wanted to improve that and just meet people and and learn something new. And so I went and I actually went there with two other college students. And we went into a couple different universities there in Madrid, and we gave free English conversation classes to students. So we would kind of just publicize by word of mouth, like we just go hang out in the cafeteria and have lunch with people and talk with them and tell them like, hey, we're doing this thing and we want to make a space for students to be able to practice their English because, um, you know, much like here, we, we learn a second language or try to in high school. Um, you know, in Europe, they, they teach English in schools, but they start it from an earlier age. And so most people there around my age, like college students now, have, have learned English in school from an early age and they want to be fluent in it, but they don't necessarily have people to practice with. And so for 
you know, a native English speaker to come say, hey, let's just have conversation. And, you know, I'm not going to teach you grammar or sit here and draw on a whiteboard in front of you, but let's just have a conversation and practice in a way that will actually help you improve. Um, People are very open to that. Um, Now, that being said, we didn't have a lot of success, actually, with the classes that we tried to do. But the goal was to connect with people, and we did end up doing that. And so there were quite a few people I ended up connecting with and building relationships with. Um, A couple of them I'm actually still in contact with and have regular um, meetings with on Skype to do language exchange. Um, So we spend an hour talking in Spanish and an hour in English, and that's been a really cool thing. So, yeah, that's the main thing we were there doing. Otherwise, we were pretty much just living just living in Spain. We stayed in kind of a residence or a dorm sort of situation with students from a bunch of different countries. There was 13 of us in the dorm, I think, and that was definitely an interesting experience. I had two roommates. Uh, one was from the Canary Islands and one was from Colombia, um, and both wow. of them, thank goodness, um, both of them spoke really good English, so I didn't have too much trouble, although most of the time they made me speak in Spanish. That's good. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good experience. That was actually my first experience living with other people besides family. So it was definitely a growing time, I will say. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the patients areas. I yeah. Do. Um and yeah, we just lived and just went and talked to people and that was pretty much our time there. You know, you mentioned trying to do classes and them not necessarily going the way you planned. Uh, I used to live in Egypt and tried teaching. I tried bringing in a group of friends from the States, and we had put tons of planning into finding short little five-minute video clips uh, from different movies. So, you know, trying to get into pop culture, make it interesting. uh, Egyptians love American movies. And we had little clips that were based around things like betrayal revenge, forgiveness, restoration, just very different topics. That'd be good conversation starters. And within 24 hours, I had about uh, 25, 30 people lined up for this event. They were going to, you know, we were going to have some sessions and then in the, in the morning and then in the evening, they were going to take the Americans around. That was kind of the, their, their payment was, you know, okay, now take them out and go see, see the sites and practice your English. And uh, within 24 hours of the team landing, every single person came. And so it just evaporated like that. But we still had a great time and actually connected with most of the students just in a less planned way. So you were there in Spain and, you know, you've already taken this crazy step uh, that, that, that the average American student probably wouldn't take, which is take a semester off. Um, and then you're there and coronavirus hits. And if memory serves, you were there right when Spain was one of the major epicenters. And so what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so I honestly don't remember what the couple weeks before the virus really just exploded everywhere was like. I I do remember pretty early in February, you know, we would hear news about what was happening in China. And, you know, we would we would be reminded that was happening um, we had to be really careful, you know, on our flight there, even in January, um, of like, hey, you know, there's this virus happening, so just, you know, be careful, make sure you wash your hands. That was, I do remember that being a big thing. Um, but then the second week of March was when it it suddenly just became a thing, and they were like, oh, yeah, we have some cases that have been confirmed in Spain. At that point, it was like four or five cases. It wasn't a big deal, but we were just aware. Um, and at that point, we actually had 
a short-term trip of college students that had come to join us for the week, and they ended up actually having to go home early, and that's when we were like, okay, um, this might be a thing we it's need real. to. Yeah, it's 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 real. There's something that could um, inhibit our uh, what we're doing here, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I remember it wasn't quarantine had not hit yet because it hadn't been um, identified as a pandemic quite yet. But I remember people were being very cautious. And then a couple days before quarantine hit, you know, me and my friends were still, you know, out doing things, but it was suddenly very empty. Like we'd be on the metro going from one one part of the city to the other and there would be no one on when it should be busy. And that's when we were like, okay, this isn't quite right. And so then quarantine hit, they announced that it was um, a state of emergency. And so everyone was required to stay inside. You could be fined if you even walked outside your door. Um, yeah, it was just very intense. And so we ended up being in quarantine in our dorm in Madrid for about two weeks. And the whole time we knew we might have to go back early because depending on flights, if we would even be able to get back, we knew that we needed to figure it out because if we got stuck there, we would be stuck there for an indefinite amount of time. And we did not have the money for that. So we thought, <laughs> okay, if we need to go home, we need to go home. And so um, then the day I think that the U.S. Department of State said, um, like, American citizens, if you're in another country, you need to come home. That's when we're like, okay, we should probably come home. So, uh, yeah, we booked a flight and left the next morning. So we uh, came back on March 21st. And, yeah, it was definitely, it was tough. It was a very emotionally distressing time um, for many, many reasons, of course. But it was definitely disappointing um, because the whole point we were there was to build relationships with people. And it's hard when you, like, we didn't even get to say bye to the people that we'd been hanging mm. out with because we thought we were going to see them again. And then all of a sudden, everyone was stuck in their house. Um so that was probably the most difficult was just not getting closure on all those relationships that we'd started building. Um, and in the couple weeks of quarantine, there were a few people that we were able to, you know, video chat, which was really nice. So thank goodness for technology. Um, but other than that, it was just very it was just a very sudden severing from what we'd been doing and, you know, the, the people we'd been able to connect with. So that was probably the hardest. And I remember the morning that we got that, you know, we decided um, like, okay, we need to go home early. And I remember sitting there on my balcony at the dorm and just thinking like, man, you know, it's been really difficult living here. Like the culture shock was definitely very real. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy living there, honestly, just public transportation was not my thing. Um, late night culture is not my thing. I'm very much a morning person. And so I was thinking back and thinking, I haven't really enjoyed it. The couple months I've been here, other than the people that I've connected with, um, but then that morning, I just, like, looked out and I was like, man, you know, I have actually enjoyed it, though. You know, like, it's been hard, but I've enjoyed it and I've learned so much um, that I'm really grateful for this experience. And, like, I could see myself living overseas long term. Um, like, I could see this being something that I would come back to. Uh, and then we got sent home early, you know, and just had to book a flight and, and leave. And so that was that was hard. Um having having that peace about being there and then leaving um but i also know that that god brought that peace at the right time knowing that i was about to have to go home and so i'm glad that i had that experience and was able to see it in a better light and see the things that i'd learned and grown in so you were sitting here in the studio with me when i read that passage from jeremiah where basically jeremiah said god said to jeremiah uh, go and tell them this message but they're not going to hear you and i, I can think of many many other people in the Bible where God gives them some 
something to do, uh, something to obey in, something to follow in. And then it seems that he just either shuts the door or makes it impossible. Or in some way, you know, the completion of whatever the project was didn't actually happen. You know, I think of, or it didn't happen in the way that you might expect. You know, God tells Moses and Aaron to go talk to Pharaoh, but he hardens Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh won't obey what God is telling him through the voice of Moses and Aaron. In fact, their time gets harder. In fact, the people that Moses and Aaron represent don't appreciate their sacrifice and start grumbling against them and don't like them. Uh, this is just one of many, many uh, examples in the Bible where people go to do something and then it doesn't happen. And that's kind of what happened here. So do, do you feel this sense that you were sent on a fool's errand or how do you, how do you think of this in your head? Yeah, um, honestly, so I don't think of it as a fool's errand. I think it was tempting for me to feel that way at first, definitely. But I, I realized that there's two ways of thinking of it. So I could think of it as, oh, my trip got cut short. Or I could think of it as God already knew how long my trip was going to be, so it, it really wasn't cut short. Like, I, I, it was cut short based on my perception and my expectations, but... You know, even in other areas of my life, my expectations rarely pan out the way that I want them to. And so realizing that, I think, was what gave me the most peace about it, knowing that, you know, I do think that this was something that God led me to, an opportunity that God gave me, because every good thing is from God. Um, but I don't feel like I was cheated out of anything. I don't feel, you know... And no longer at this point do I feel mad at God because I know that as soon as I got on a plane in January, God knew the day that I was going to be coming home. And so, you know, God accomplished whatever he wanted to accomplish in that time. And I don't have to understand what that was. And who am I to put God on a time frame of like, oh, you know, I'll go to Spain, but only if you teach me this and if you do this and if I feel this way about it, you know, but maybe it'll be different than I expect. And um, do I still trust that God is going to do what he wants to do through the experience that he gave me, you know? And so I think the way that things go is the way that God intends them to go. And God is still going to accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish. Like I can't put him in a box and say, oh, I was there for a month less than I was supposed to be. So, you know, you, you must not have done what you wanted to do. Um, you know, and it's like, honestly, I, I don't entirely know what the purpose of me going there was. Like, I just don't. It's pretty much anything in my life that, that ends up happening, I'm like, well, I'm not really sure why it went that way. Um, but I'm just kind of here for the ride. Like, you know, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get from it what God wants me to get from it. And I'm just going to pray for the willingness to, to trust and pray for, um, for the peace to accept the things that are out of my control and, and the courage to, to do the things that are in my control but ultimately leaving it to God and God said, here's the timeline. And I, you know, it wasn't what I wanted or expected necessarily, but that's what happened. And I think my new catchphrase in this season of life is it is what it is because just, it is what it is. Right. So as I listen to you talk, you see God's hand uh, in controlling all of these circumstances, right? God knew before you got on that plane, when you were going to be coming and why, even if you don't know when or why, he knew, and, and you have faith and trust in that. And so if you think of just the average college kid's summer trip, you know, they hop on a plane, they go somewhere, they have some fun, they come home. There's no thought of, is God guiding my steps along the way? Now, here you are seeing God's hand or 
struggling to see God's hand or wrestling with what you know God's hand to be, uh, probably all of those things at various moments in the in the transformation over over time. And you're in secular Europe, which, uh, I mean, most of the countries in Europe are very, very secular. And yet your faith is very much a part of who you are, uh, very much a part of how you are seeing God opening up a trip to go. It's not just, oh, I feel like going, so I go. It's you saw God's hand there. Um, how, is all, how is your spirituality perceived by uh, your friends in Spain? Yeah, interesting question. So, um, I mean, yeah, I would agree that my faith is very much a big part of who I am. Like, I, I hopefully, or my goal is to see everything through the filter, like, of my faith and of knowing that God is God is real and, and he cares about me. He cares about every person. And that's what I live my life based on. And so, yeah, definitely, I, I went into it knowing um, that people, you know, one aspect of culture is people's beliefs, people's um, religion or faith background or spirituality or whatever you want to call it. And so I, you know, I was aware some things about um, Spain's spiritual climate. Um, I definitely learned quite a lot once I got there and, and you know, talking to people about that. Um, and I tend to want to have spiritual conversations with people because that's something that's important to me. And so I want to, you know, know what other people think. I want to learn other perspectives and that's a big part of culture. And so that's a big part of what I want to talk to people about. And so in talking to people, uh, most of the most of the people that I talked to were my age. Um, most of them tended to identify as atheist or agnostic. Um, some a lot I did identify as Catholic, um, not necessarily practicing, though. Um, but Spain did not have religious freedom until I think 1985 is the year, um, because they were under a dictatorship and the government used the Catholic church to control people. And so very understandably, a lot of people are very hardened to church and therefore hardened to the idea of God. Um, and so I think that is a big contributor to people's, um, just their hardness against it and their, um, People aren't too keen on the idea of following God or going to church or doing anything like that. And honestly, it's my perception was that it's not something that people think about a lot there. You know, I would ask like, oh, do you, you know, what's your religious background or do you, you know, have any beliefs about like God or any kind of higher power? And they would, a lot of people would tell me, you know, I just don't really think about it a lot. Like if that's just not something I really care about very much. Hmm. Um, And, you know, that was interesting for me to learn. And so then we would just kind of have an open discussion about it and what they thought and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely a big, um, I guess, part of what I learned there as well was just getting a feel for um, beliefs and what different people believe in different ideas about God and perceptions of God. Were they equally surprised by your belief in God or your attention to faith? Um, honestly, I'm not sure. Or was um, it just a non-issue for them? I think it was. It might, in a couple circumstances, it might have been off-putting to them just that I even wanted to talk about God because, again, that's just not a very typical thing there, I think. But, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty open. I mean, I try not to be pushy about it, but I do try to be open about my faith. And, you know, sometimes I would mention just in conversation something about God or prayer or um, how God, how I believe that God, you know, creates each person. And, you know, I could tell that, you know, sometimes people find that amusing or something if they don't share that belief, which is understandable. But, I found it kind of funny that they find it funny, you know? Um, and so, yeah, maybe there sometimes was a little bit of shock or wonder of like, well, why would you believe that, you know? Or especially surrounding the Bible and when it comes to believing mm. in absolute truth, 
as opposed to relativism, I think that's one of the biggest things that's hard for people to grasp or can can even be very offensive in a lot of cases of saying, yeah, I do believe there's absolute truth. I believe that um, the God of the Bible is is the, the higher being that exists. Yeah. I had a reverse experience happen where we had some German researchers come to the church here, and they were actually doing a, a multi-city tour, talking to pastors, church leaders, that kind of thing, to ask spiritual questions. And during my interview, I, I had to just pause the interview and said, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I find this whole experience right here very odd. My understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is Germany is a very secular, very post-Christian, post-religious culture. And, they, and they're smiling. They go, yeah, yeah, it is. I said, but you're here on a massive research grant to come and study American spirituality, which, let's be honest, you'll see us as kind of backwards. Why? How? And they just go, well, we find it interesting. <laughs> and so no interest in, in, in I mean, they, they all had some kind of childhood experience in uh, mostly the Catholic Church. One was Orthodox, but uh, nothing on a personal level. Uh, super interesting people, love to talk about religion, love to hear about why we do what we do. Uh, you know, we're a multi-ethnic church here, so they want to know all about that and uh, interesting stuff. So you, you went, uh, it seems like this massive change in plan came midway, where now all of a sudden it's everybody get on a plane, go home. Probably the reality of this is setting in at that point or maybe sooner. How, what do you think God was teaching you through all of this? Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of things, but the the biggest thing that I distinctly remember and that I hold on to from just my time in Spain overall, but then especially the way that things turned out towards the end there, um, the biggest thing was just surrender and what that really means. So as someone who, you know, decided to follow Jesus at a very young age, like I made that decision around six years old. Um, and so it's always just been a part of my life. It's always been a given like, oh, yeah, I follow Jesus. And, you know, as I've gotten older and, and had times of serious doubt and really examined my faith and why I believe what I believe, um, you know, it, it's gotten a little more, you know, complex and there's more basis to it. It's not just like, oh, well, I just follow Jesus just because it's what I've always done. Like, there are reasons that I follow Jesus legitimately. Um, but I think there's a danger in that for me of like losing my awe and wonder of of the gospel, of the truth of, of Jesus and God in my life, because it's easy to say like, oh yeah, I surrendered my life to God when I was six years old. And so now I'm good. Um, and then for me, <laughs> for me, I kind of fall into this, this idea of like, oh, well now I'm self-sufficient, you know, or, um, mm. oh, now it's all good because I'm surrendered to God. Um, when in reality, days can go by weeks, months, years, even where I'm, I'm not really surrendered or trusting to God. And I think the biggest lesson that I learned in my time there was surrender is a daily choice. It's not a one and done. Like nothing is really a one and done. Everything is a process, like especially in my faith, but in life in general, I think we see this as well, that things are, are processes. Like you never, you don't wake up one day and you're like, oh yes, I'm a patient person. Like you learn patience <laughs> over a long period of time. No one, no one makes it, you know, like talk to any older person they're like yep i'm still learning patience um you don't wake up one day and say ah i'm never anxious like you slowly learn how to how to cope with anxieties how to how to face them how to get over them how to genuinely trust um people or, or god um that are trustworthy um so all of these types of things are are 
life is a lifelong process. It's it's a learning. It's you know you're in it for the long haul. Um, and I never realized that the same concept applied to surrender. I always just thought once I'm surrendered, I'm surrendered, and then we're good. When in reality, it, it's like if I'm if I'm holding on to something that represents you know my life and all the things that I want to control, it's like as if I said, oh yeah, I let go of this and I gave it to God, right? But I'm still actually holding on to it. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually let it go. I just said that I let it go. And so for me, every day in Spain, you know, and through the times that were difficult, like the culture shock and having to use Spanish all the time and how tiring that was and being discouraged because people didn't come to the English conversation classes and, you know, struggling to find people that wanted to connect with us or anything like that. You know, there were really hard days and I had to Every single day, every single hour, sometimes wake up and say like, okay, God, I'm going to surrender this to you. You know, I'm really freaking tired of talking Spanish. I'm going to surrender that, that exhaustion to you. I am really, you know, discouraged. I'm going to surrender that to you. Um, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm going to surrender that lack of understanding to you. All of those things are choices. It's not just something that happens. It's not like I feel like it one day. And so I'm like, okay, we're good now, God. But, you know, it's, it's every single day coming back to the truth that, um, that I need God, I need Jesus in my life and I need God's help for every little thing. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. It's not a shameful thing to admit that I'm a weak person. That's actually what brings the most glory to God. And that's right. what allows him to be glorified because of his strength in my weakness and the fact that his strength is per perfected in my weakness. Um, and so it was just, oh yeah, I can let myself be weak. And, you know, I, I am strong through Christ in me. And it's not about me. And that actually brings him more glory. And so that was honestly the biggest takeaway from the whole experience. Um, and then that's what carried me through um, having to come home early as well was mm -hmm. knowing like, okay, well, just one more thing to surrender and one more opportunity to get closer to God, to feel more cared for, to receive comfort because comfort only exists because pain exists. Um, and, you know, sadness only exists because it's a deficit of joy, you know, and so when I experience those things and experience those difficulties, it's just another opportunity to to come to God and say, hey, God, I need you right now. And then he comes in and he's the comforter. He's the prince of peace and he's um, his grace is sufficient, you know. And so that's what I think life is really about is just having those moments of just understanding who God is and letting him meet me where I'm at. So what was your hardest cross-cultural experience? <laughs> Um, so honestly, one day or a night in particular sticks out to me that is kind of representative of my overall struggle with just the difference in even how people hang out. As weird as that sounds, it's just very different. Um, for me here in the United States, if I want to get coffee with a friend or if I want to catch up with somebody or hang out with somebody, uh, you know, maybe if I'm on campus, I'll, I'll study with somebody. But generally speaking, I might say like, hey, let's go grab coffee or let's go grab chick-fil-a or something to eat real quick and then we'll we'll go and we'll talk for maybe an hour two hours if it's a close friend something like that and then we'll go home right but you know in spain i meet somebody at a university and i i talk with them for 10 minutes in the cafeteria and then two days later you know we meet up at the park and we walk around the park for like two hours and then they're like hey want to go grab coffee i'm like sure so we go like hang out at the cafe for two hours and then they're like hey i know this other great place to go let's go there so then we go there for two hours and you know it's like 11 p.m and they're like you know what's up and i'm like i mean normally I go to bed right now and they're like seriously this is like the pre pre-party time we're just starting yeah we're just getting started here and it's gonna go till 3 a.m 
Um, and so just getting into that groove of like, okay, like I'm, I'm just here. I'm just here for the ride. I'm here to hang out. I'm here to get to know you and, you know, whatever floats your boat kind of thing. And so it's my, I have a very task oriented schedule planning type of brain. And like I said, I'm a morning person. So I go to, I'm, I'm a grandma. I go to bed at 9 PM. I wake up at 6 AM, like get my sleep in. We're good. But uh, here I am, you know, hanging out with people till 1 a.m. and then, you know, sleeping in till noon and getting some breakfast and then getting some lunch at 4 p.m., you know, which is so just not what I was used to my whole life in the United States. And so it sounds weird to say that it was difficult to hang out with people, but sometimes it was it was a challenge just to hang out with people in such a laid back fashion, because that's I would say that's something I struggle with because I think I'm I'm too, you know, schedule brained but uh yeah so just learning to to really just roll with things and and be present in the moment and be willing to experience things in the way that the people there experience things um and so that was that was honestly a challenge and yeah there was just one day in particular where it, it was the first experience that I had where you know we just went from one place to another just hanging out and talking and having a great time but it was just really draining even as an extrovert I just wasn't ready she's, for she's that a mentally. huge extrovert y'all yeah just just a little bit um and so that was that was an experience um but I'm grateful and you know I I never want to forget just the little things that I learned there, even of like lunches, like when you when you go to to lunch with somebody here in the United States, at least in the South here, um, you know, you go to lunch and it's expected like, OK, we're going to be here for an hour tops um, or, you know, even even shorter. You know, if you're like on a lunch break, if you're at work or school or something, you you go grab lunch in 10 minutes and then you're back, you know, doing what you're doing. No, 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 not in Spain. Um, you go to lunch and you sit there for like two and a half hours like minimum you know you're chilling they don't bring you the they wait like an hour and a half to bring you the check like if that happened in the united states like a restaurant would be shut down like that would right. get such bad yelp reviews you know but that's just the norm and spain you just you just like lunch is an event is what my um my friend there would always say so yeah just even those little lessons like lunch can be an event and it doesn't mean i'm wasting time it doesn't mean you know, my schedule is going to explode or implode on itself. You know, it's just lunch is an event and we can just enjoy time. So you went from hanging out all the time from, you know, early to late. And then you came back to quarantine <laughs> and lockdown and nobody anywhere. How, what was that experience like for you? Was it kind of reverse culture shock coming back and not having that? So we had we had been warned by some people like reverse culture shock is very real. You're going to come back and things about American culture are really going to bother you. You're going to get mad at people easily, but you just need to remember that they haven't had the experience you've had. And they, you know, we, we get very stuck in our own culture and it's hard to get out of that. And so you will experience reverse culture shock. And, and honestly, I don't think I experienced it nearly as much as I would have if we'd come back the time we were supposed to, because, you know, we were only there for barely two months. I think we'd just gotten really accustomed and really gotten into our groove and then, you know, had to come home. But um, so there was that aspect that we weren't really in another culture for that long before coming back. Um, but then also, I think there was an aspect of like, because I was stuck at home, like I came back and immediately had to quarantine myself for two weeks. I couldn't even go to the grocery store or anything. So I wasn't really in culture per se. I was in my house with my parents, but I wasn't out and about. I wasn't driving. I wasn't seeing how people were living and getting irritated at people for American culture, you know. But I will say, I think it, there was an aspect that was difficult um, of just, I think, and I mean, I still think this, honestly, 
um, not in a judgmental way, but a little bit in a judgmental way of like Americans tend to be very closed-minded in not purposely, but just in our understanding of of people and our awareness of culture, which is honestly really sad, especially in Houston, like it's so diverse, right. you would think we would be a little more open-minded to the idea that just because we do it this way doesn't mean everybody does. And just right. because you do it a certain way doesn't mean that's the best way. Um, I'm just being open to that. And so I think that's something that we don't do very well here in the United States necessarily. We'd like to think we do, but we really don't. And so it was hard coming back and constantly having this, in, like reading the news or hearing people talk and constantly getting this influx of opinions on this huge current event, a pandemic. And just hearing the way that people were talking. And for me, it was really hard coming back because, like you said, when when I was in quarantine in Madrid, that's when um, Spain had the number one was number one for the, the highest amount of cases and deaths in Europe. And so I was coming back from the situation where literally thousands upon thousands of people were um, getting this virus and, and hundreds and hundreds of people were dying every single day. And then I came back to the United States where it hadn't really gotten so bad. And everyone was like, oh, it's no biggie, um, you know, like, stop you know whining about it and i'm like well thousands of people are dying so they're not really whining you know like can we you know at least be a little more sensitive to this um so that was honestly hard just um coming back in the um just the opinions like we're very passionate here about our opinions and so that can be kind of (laughs) off-putting so that was a struggle but uh but other than that the the culture shock wasn't the reverse culture shock wasn't so bad and um yeah, it definitely was a challenge, though, coming back and, and not having anything to do. It, it wasn't even so much that I couldn't see people, although that did get worse over time. But, you know, I was still calling people like I would video chat with my friends every day, that kind of thing. But it was it was a struggle just not having something to go do, not some, not having something on my schedule like, oh, I'm going to go to class or go to work. I, I looked for a job, wasn't able to find one. So I was literally at home for five months straight. And that was yeah, not the most fun thing in the world. What was your favorite experience during your time there? The churros. Um, the churros, for real? <laughs> the whole experience, yeah, I was just eating churros. No, um, <laughs> man, I don't know. It's honestly hard to say. It was just, there wasn't a lot you of... You know you can get churros in Houston. That is not the same. It is really not. It's no Houston churros are not the same. I'm no, sorry. Why, why not? You're looking at me and no. shaking your head. But... Well, well, I'm just thinking of of churros that I've had here, and you know. Well, have you had the churros in Madrid? I've not. I've never been. One of the few places I've never been. Okay. Well, you should go eat their churros and then tell me what you think. Okay. Fair Once the pandemic is over, fair yeah. Point. Um. So the churros, yeah, they dip their churros in like a cup of melted chocolate, and then they they drink the chocolate. Um. It's great. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. So. Man, I I honestly don't know. Like it was just. I've kind of romanticized it looking back, you know, my experience. I'm like, oh, yeah, living in Spain, it was so great. And we had such good times. And I was always laughing, you know, with my two friends that I was there with. And it was just a wonderful, like, walking through the meadow experience. And then I'm like, wait a minute. No, it wasn't. It was actually really hard. And I mean, it was enjoyable, but it was it was difficult. And it didn't feel super special or exciting. You know, I think people hear like, oh, my gosh, you lived in Spain for two months. That must be so cool. And it's like, I mean... Kind of, but also it's just a place. Like, it's just another place in the world. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm in Madrid. You know, I mean, it was sometimes, but most of the time I was just living my life and it was just another city with different types of people and I got to know those people and that was life. And so there wasn't anything in particular that really stuck out. It was just the experience overall of 
um, like, okay, yeah, the, this is a different part of the world. It operates differently, and I'm learning how and, you know, growing myself in the process. And I was just there for the experience. Do you have any future trips planned? Not planned. Um, God may it. have them. Um, <laughs> hoped for. I would still love to go to London. That's actually a sad part for me that I am still rather bitter about that I was supposed to go to London, um, kind of on my way home, you know, from Spain, but that did not happen. Um, so that's a disappointment. So I hope to go to London one day. Um, also Paris. Um, other than those places, there's nothing really in my mind. I, I would really like to have experiences on different continents. Like I want to go to every continent, um, except maybe Antarctica, um, and, and get to know, you know, the cultures there because... It's July and she, or it's August and she's wearing a jacket right um, I get cold easily, okay? I'm not a penguin. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm open to any experience, honestly, is what I would say. Um, and I still feel that way after, after going to Spain for, you know, going to another country at all for a slightly more extended period of time, I can say with more certainty now that I'm open to the experience even of living overseas, um, for some amount of time. But, you know, I don't have concrete plans or even hopes or ideas. I'm just said it like four times but i'm just along for the ride so it's really whatever comes up an opportunity presents itself i'll probably take it um but other than that i'm just just kind of here all right well amanda thank you so much for sharing about your experience with me yeah no problem happy to do it and you know how much i love talking <laughs> all right well that concludes our show today. Thank you for listening to Nations Reaching Nations. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Nation Reaching Nations.